Welcome to this new episode of Becoming a Post-Growth Planner, Challenges and Obstacles to Changing Roles and Practices. My name is Christian Lamker. I'm Assistant Professor for Sustainable and Tra Transformation and Regional Planning at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. And today I have two guests with me, Kim van Schoenfeld and Federico Savini. I'm, so I'm Kim. Uh, thank you for that uh, introduction. I am currently research fellow at the Center for Transdisciplinary Studies on Culture, Space and Memory at the University of Porto in Portugal. Um, and um, having a background in, in different countries as well. And I am co-editor with Federico and Antonio Ferreira of, uh, of a book that we will probably be discussing. I think that's the most relevant information. <laughs> we all have it here with us. Um, I'll leave it at that. Yeah, thank you, Christian, for inviting us to this podcast. Um, I am an associate professor in environmental planning uh, at the University of Amsterdam. And um, uh, I live and work in Amsterdam, and I'm very happy to be able to introduce this uh, work, which uh, um, I did with two fantastic colleagues, Kim and Antonio. And uh, thank you again for having me here. Many thanks. Yeah, we also had Antonio in one of the previous episodes of this podcast. So now it's great to have your team complete. Uh, before we move to the book, uh, let's start a bit backwards. Uh, what brought you to post-growth and planning? What brought you to explore these ideas? To introduce the book, indeed, it's just good to say what we want this book to do. In fact, um, it's, we believe, the first book that deals with uh, uh, the role of planning within the degrowth uh, imaginary or degrowth agenda, as you want to call it. So it's a book that brings back uh, into the debate on degrowth the role of uh, uh, spatial development, the role of spatial transformation, and the relation between space and um, uh, social relations. So um, there were no other books who did that. There were other works, of course, that questioned the role of uh, urban environments, uh, but they never took a perspective on planning. And in fact, uh, to do this book, we made very clear already in the introduction that planning almost always historically had a very clear role within a growth-oriented economy. On the one end was uh, promoting this growth uh, of cities as the engine of economic well-being. That's uh, the idea that is uh, very popular since the 80s. On the other hand, planners were always trying to compensate for the environmental and social problematics that uh, this growth was generating. So uh, to come out of this double role, we try to write uh, a book together with others to rethink planning beyond these two, uh, let's say, uh, phases, identities that uh, planning had since until today. To add a little bit uh, on a personal note, I think that uh, for for all of us for the book but also uh, yeah personally I think post-growth uh, for me was always um, about connecting trying trying to connect um, the social justice and environmental justice questions that I had been grappling with uh, throughout life and I think that uh, a lot of these chapters address that um, albeit uh, in with a focus on planning indeed uh, as Federico has pointed out uh, but also looking, for example, at governance and um, worldviews, etc., which indeed have a spatial uh, dimension, while at the same time, kind of also uh, looking at at the people behind uh, acting on these things. And I think that that's um, something that I always related to uh, personally. 
Yeah, indeed. When when I started using the term post-growth planning in 2016-17, the reactions were almost like this is never going to work structurally for planning or this is never going to work personally for for your career. So this will basically ruin, ruin it for you. So it's great to see that there is this emerging debate since then now leading to this book. But it's also a large diversity within this debate. So how did you structure the debate to somehow condense it together to one book with, I think, 20 contributors, three editors. So quite an effort. Well, we started off with a series of um, of sections that we really thought were would be important, I think, um, to discuss, uh, which are which are the, the sections of the book in the end, um, notably uh, as conceptualized as verbs, so as actions. So beginning, starting somewhere, right? Uh, dwelling related uh, chiefly to, to how forms of housing, moving, governing, regulating, nurturing, being, and then envisioning. Uh, and I think we, we came up with these as kind of cornerstones of planning and themes that, that are recurring in planning. And we, um, we identified people that we thought um, you know were were known in the field of planning and at the same time could have interesting contributions in in these varied areas and i think it was uh, extremely yeah stimulating to speak to invite these people and to speak with them about these um these topics and uh, i think you know thinking back the moments in which we we met uh, the different, uh, we, yeah, we got together all the authors. Uh, we really had, of course, the mandatory debates on the definition of post-growth and, you know, whether or not uh, it all needs to be about commoning uh, these kinds of issues. And I think um, it was never, those discussions were never about really completely convincing each other, but about trying to kind of pinpoint where do you need to sharpen an argument what can you do to um yeah to to get better across what you what you think and um i think it was very stimulating and the result is is proof of that i suppose can you take us maybe a moment more personally into your own thoughts when you you started with an idea on what post-growth is how it relates to planning but uh, did the book book adds new insights to your understanding of post-growth or which were these? Yes, it does. I think a book does add uh, a lot of insights on the debate on degrowth, post-growth. A debate that, as we know, comes from other disciplines uh, um, and that hardly, as you just said, uh, was uh, unfolded in the, in, the, in the planning discipline. So what does it add? First of all, um, it shows uh, the complexity uh, and the amount of possible interventions uh, that uh, the grow agenda can bring about in cities and in general in the in the in the transformation of social spatial relations so uh, elements such as moving uh, so the aspect of mobility was already debated in the degrowth literature of course but we hardly had uh, frameworks of understanding of different of how different uh, mobility systems can come about but uh, aspects like regulations or housing are also never taken in, uh, in combination within the same work. Uh, there we see how, for example, the role of the state becomes extremely important uh, to intervene uh, in, uh, in the 
uh, ecological and, and social uh, challenges uh, that the growth uh, brings to cities. So I think there are different elements that uh, um, comes to the fore from the book. And I think one, uh, two in particular stands out very well, um, I would say. The first is the one about being, so the last part of the book, this aspect of uh, you know post-normal planning, which uh, somehow was never discussed before in the planning literature, um, brings to the fore the type of new skills uh, that planners should develop in order to actually already create the possibility of a post-growth planning practice. Um, and the other, the part number six on, on nurturing, there we see the geographical complexity of uh, uh, food systems uh, beyond, beyond, of course, the well-known practices of uh, uh, community-based agriculture. So there, there we have chapters in which we discuss the regional and inter-regional uh, networks of food production and the scale at which uh, major cities can provide for uh, food and agriculture uh, beyond, of course, uh, the current global uh, food chains. So these are, I think, two quite clear innovations. Of course, also the other chapters bring their own innovation, as I just said. Um, so I think overall the reader will have a, a good idea of how many possibilities planning has to intervene in cities for the growth agenda. And I think that was our intention. So I heard that there's lots of insights on major issues of planning, housing, mobility, infrastructures. Beyond that, did you encounter surprises along the way when collecting the book, topics that came into it or debates that you didn't expect? The answer would be very different if Federico would answer, so I'm curious. But uh, for for me, I think it was, um, of course, we, we did have um, varied uh, results. Also, you know, one thing is coming up with these themes and then asking people, but they will write what, what they write. And I think here we really saw... Uh, suddenly emerging um, tendencies and, and ideas that, uh, for example, um, in, in terms of governing, uh, we had a strong focus on, on ways of forms of commoning. Um, and of course, we also had, um, we had a bit of a reflection on COVID, which was something that we had not anticipated when we came up with with the book and um i think there there were uh there were also um bit unexpected kind of additions with the uh, second chapter on on in beginning about when greening is not the growth cost shifting insights but i think that was also something that was more about bringing in more established knowledge from an area that was outside much more outside planning um and i think uh i would agree with with Federico's point on on the importance of the of the last section on being uh really kind of highlighting the need to reflect on who yeah on on worldviews as well on ways of uh understanding our own role uh in this so I found those things um, surprising as they, you know, solidified these themes that we had uh, thought of. Yeah, if I can add, I think uh, the most interesting discussions, at one point during the production of the book, we uh, hold a seminar, we divided the group of authors in different subgroups, and we discussed in smaller groups 
about how different chapters will speak to each other. And the, the harshest, I have to say, the most interesting and more lively discussion were, of course, those that were regarding part four and five. So the part discussing about government, so this, the, go the governance or government settings that creates the planning for the growth, and the other part, part five, which it's about the tools of government, the regulations. Uh, and here we talked about beyond governments, we talked about the state, the role of the state, which remains a clear uh, challenge within the degrowth, post-growth literature. And there we see that there was a lot of discussions about what type of instruments and what type of legitimacy the state can mobilize in order to trigger degrowth agendas in cities. So um, these four chapters within, which are at the core of the book, are quite interesting because they try to unpack the role of the state, unpack the role of tools for governments, and trying to question whether these tools are necessary or not. And the reader will find it interesting that I think the book comes about with a kind of blurred picture on the state. So the different roles that the state has, but it does not, and that's important to say, it does not negate the use of the state for, for post-growth planning. Uh, planning has a lot of instruments and tools available, so planning as a public activity. Um, what would you say if you take that perspective for a moment? Uh, what's the inspiration of the book, um, of the whole process for a planner currently working to somehow take a new perspective on the instruments, tools available to then either challenge them, use them differently, adapt them? What would you say? What should be done or what could be done? Yeah, I think I think the, the reader will find tools in each of the chapters, depending on the type of uh, sectors that the, the reader works on. So if we take, for example, the first housing, housing is one of the major uh, sectors where planners have, have a role and in intervention. There, there are plenty of examples of housing forms beyond pure state and market divisions that promote a sense of conviviality, which is at the base, at least at the base of uh, a degrowth. Uh, uh, worldview. So the idea of you know collaboration and cooperation before competition. Um, but then of course transport plan will find part three very interesting where where uh, uh, Kim, Antonio, Luca, and Anna uh, flesh out different ways to look at mobility uh, needs beyond pure transportation infrastructures and also complexify the picture of what a, a mobility system uh, should look like beyond maximization of individual time. So there are other tools. I, I will not go through the whole book, but I think each chapter um, has a very clear um, indication of instruments. I would flesh out chapter number 10, the one written by Jean Xue. She actually clearly points out a particular policy framework uh, and criticizes this framework from a degrow perspective. And there, I think, public planners, planners involved in public administration can learn a lot uh, from that, I think. And of course, uh, for uh, planning educators, planning teachers, like also us, uh, I think um, the last two chapters are very interesting because there we can get inspired on what type of skills and we need to develop and perhaps also what type of formats we need to adapt in our education. Turning to our role as uh, academics, as educators, as those who also teach the future, future planners, future policymakers, future geographers, and others uh, working in the field of city or space making, place making, um, how could we help to be 
make post growth become a reality well um that's uh, the question i would say um that uh, that we try to set out a few ideas for but i think here um uh, the the manifesto kind of goes into some points and suggestions that emerged really from a collaborative effort of all the authors of the book and and we as editors uh, kind of summarized some of the um ideas that emerged and I think here, um, let's see, I think that what's worthwhile uh, to highlight is is kind of along all of them um, probably has to do with with not getting too comfortable in uh, in kind of any particular way of thinking, um, including probably post growth thinking. Uh, but to to constantly challenge the decisions we make and and then to kind of challenge also the the status quo right to to create non commodified ways of of dwelling but also that that's one example from the manifesto but also probably extend that non commodification to other areas of life um, to think about I think diversity of of solutions rather than having one single solution. All of these things are are small things that I think planners interested in post growth can can pick up, and of course we have uh, your own chapter, Christian, that that also talks about roles in particular, um, roles of planners. But uh, I think that chiefly um, probably something that remains a barrier as well is on one hand it's about getting planners um, you know to to rethink the obsession with growth or the assumption that growth is needed at the same time um, it seems to also be really important to um, to think about what are the things that once planners decide they want to do that you know, keeps them from being able to. And uh, I, I know that, Christian, you you look into that uh, a bit as well in your work. But I think um, here here there's, there's a chief challenge, and I think a lot of it might go through education and uh, starting with from the youngest and in all areas. Um, and that's something that we don't actually discuss so far uh, so much in the book, but we do include a glossary that I think can help people to, in relatively simple terms, um, adopt uh, terms. And, and I think that's also aligned with the um, with Jack Modeliza's uh, and others edited book on, on the book, vocabulary for degrowth, where you really kind of try to use a different vocabulary to engage a different way of thinking um, among also others uh, that you might uh, work with in your daily life. So I think those are perhaps ways that planners can really engage with this. And then again, as uh, we discussed before, every area that planners might be active in can be looked at from a post-growth or a growth or whatever um, perspective, and that's important. I think if I can add on what Kim just said, I think there is a bit of a ground zero message of this book, which uh, it's in the book, but it's not spelled out maybe a bit in the introduction, is that we need to start telling our students a different story than the one we told in the last 30 years. The story we told in the last 30 years is that cities are indeed the growth champions of the uh, current uh, economy. So that's where 
wealth is produced and that's also where solutions of socio-technical solutions for uh, sustainability are uh, found. This is just one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is that cities are machines of environmental destruction and the way they grow in fact tend to in many cases if they're not planned correctly they tend to uh, reproduce social uh, economic uh, divisions. So there is another story and that that story is like we need to look at cities as places where indeed uh, environmental destruction is generated because that's where most of the resources of the planet are being concentrated. Um, and that's why the degrowth stories comes into play for, for planners. If we look at cities in this way, we have to start, we can start looking at the mechanics of growth within cities and trying to tweak different pieces in order to, to slow down this grow machine, basically. And by slowing down, we can also reduce the metabolism of cities. So the metabolism in terms of water materials and also trying to slow down the socially divisive relationships that are created within uh, um, these urban areas. Um, so I think that's the ground zero message of, of this book, which may be a topic for the next book. Yeah, it would be great. So now we've talked a lot about uh, planning practice, instruments, tools, and changes there. I've recognized that there is also a need for change in education and teaching future planners. But what on this side makes it so hard to maybe implement other ideas to, to use post goals to provide solutions to current housing debates or at least other insights than those that are available? First of all, we need to set very clear what degrowth and post-growth thinking means. There is a lot of confusion there, especially among planners that tend to see this as a, a way to kind of downscale all the good things, in fact, that were produced by within cities so far, which is a misunderstanding. So just, first of all, defining post-growth for planners, for urban practitioners, for urban scholars is important. That's what we're trying to do, to clarify what it means. And the other thing I think we should, as planners, go back to our uh, you know roots of basically being active, uh, um, advocates of the public uh, interest. And when I call it public interest, I include both interests of social classes that have been dominated and excluded from urban areas, but also for all the rest, the ecological and more than human uh, groups that have been excluded from cities so far, that we can become advocate again, advocates again of these groups. of, of uh, uh, and, and there we can, by taking this role again, uh, we can, I think, develop a different agenda for urban transformation. And this role is something that we have lost with, with years of neoliberalization and downscaling of planning uh, responsibilities of the state. I think we can go back to that. I think that will be my hope. Again, I, I would come back a bit to the getting out of our, our comfort zones a bit um, as well. I think that the comfort zone is a very, very attractive uh, thing <laughs> and to a lot of people and I think it's a big barrier to trying to um, do things differently uh, so I would I would highlight that a bit and uh, so being a barrier but also something that we can work with. Yeah, so in my experience most at least many planning practitioners would say that their practice their daily life is actually more a fighting zone than a, com than a comfort zone um, 
So yeah. there is a challenge then to say that it needs to be even even different. So what does this debate mean for professional ethics, for ethical standpoints uh, in the planning discipline? Do you have an idea? Yeah, let, let me give you an example. I agree with this this, uh, this uh, terminology, comfort, non-comfort zone, because I think it would be very uncomfortable for a planner to try to reduce CO2 emissions in a region or try to reduce the domestic material demand of a city by just using the usual tools that are used every day, like uh, technological innovation. We know that that's the assumption of degrowth, that you can't reach those goals at one point if you don't take and undertake a degrowth agenda. That's quite frustrating. So it's quite uncomfortable. They might try to reach something with the tools that are not successful. So maybe mm. a degrowth agenda gives comfort by saying, look, uh, you can't solve it that way. But uh, yeah, you need to use new ideas, which are sometimes low tech, sometimes uh, already existing in, a, in a all kind of experimental practices. You just need to take those and try to upscale them. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's easy. I'm just trying to use, of course, this terminology of comfort, non-comfort zone. Um, so I, I, bear with me. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I agree. But I, I wonder that, uh, so there's the comfort of the, the uncomfort of daily life and the status quo indeed. But I think that um, perhaps what I mean is on one hand, in intellectual comfort versus non-comfort, the fact that you, you know the tools that are the status quo and you know how to use them and getting out of that comfort zone is, is difficult. And then the other thing is, um, that a lot of planning, and here I think I have a lot of perhaps most uh, most knowledge from, from mobility planning, where the idea is that for everyone that you are planning for, you are trying to increase their comfort. And I think that that is something that can be challenged um, in terms of saying, okay, so is comfort the ultimate thing that you want to get people, you want to get them more, more comfortable through economic growth, or is there something else that you're trying to create? And of course, there's that, um, I think that you can recur, for example, to ideas of, of what is the good life, right? What is well-being really about? And um, there are interesting um, theories on that, but uh, I think that really, I've been, you know, thinking about this, to what extent do planners actually assume that the public interest is uh, the comfort of the public <laughs> versus uh, other other needs? You know, of course, beyond basic needs like like food and shelter. But uh, you know, if you're trying to to get there, so yeah. I think degrowth just tells us that indeed we need to focus on well-being and we need to be at the roots of the uh, of the you know feeling unwell and also feeling discomfort and um so it is a project of increasing well-being and also increasing comfort if you want to use that term within within cities i would say i would not define the growth as a project of uh, that doesn't concern comfort actually no me neither but i think we're obsessed with comfort in a way that is uh, is uh... Uh, it requires consumption let's say but that's a topic for another <laughs> yeah it's, it's i think it's a bit the question yeah it's a bit the question how much do we need uh and how much can we responsibly also take from others from nature uh from the resources that we have available 
As we move towards the very last moments of this, this podcast, I would like both of you to reflect for just a brief moment how you kind of define or delineate post-growth planning for the future of planning. So if you imagine finishing the sentence, post-growth planning is. Well, we, we gave a manifesto in the book, but in one sentence, the manifesto is more sentences. In one sentence, I think post-growth planning is a, is a planning practice that uh, um, it's directly focused on well-being and on the reduction of any uh, environmental harm created by uh, cities and spatial development. And uh, at the same time, a project of increasing basic human needs uh, within um, through spatial development. So meeting meeting basically the planetary boundaries, but at the same time increasing the well-being of those groups that at the moment are left out of the urban growth machine. I would say that post-growth planning um, is indeed about uh, both environmental and social justice. So in that sense, very aligned to what Philippe said. And um, at the same time, I think it's about um, reconnecting to uh, to nature or to to everything, other other humans, um, these kinds of points, and to the realities of of a diverse world <laughs> rather than one that is streamlined. Yeah, I would add post-growth planning certainly also needs to engage, to motivate, and I hope we can be a bit of a uh, contribution in that with this, this podcast episode and with the book uh, that you've produced together. So thanks for that. And thanks for joining me today for this recording. Many thanks, Kim. Many thanks, Federico. Thank you very much for the invitation again. Thank you, Christian, for invitation. Thank you again. <laughs>